Hello? Hello? Oh, hey, this thing still works. You might have thought you lost me because, yeah, the podcast has been in a, a bit of hibernation, but moving, remodeling, having a baby, traveling, that can do it to you. But the good news is we're back. The Golf Science Lab podcast. This is going to be an insane year. I've been working and thinking about a lot of great series and guests, and so we're going to bring that into reality. And this will be the year that you get the most shows from the Golf Science Lab, and I think some of the best shows. And it's our chance to talk about new research, talk to different coaches, different players, and really everything that you need to know to perform at your best and see what's going on in the cutting edge of golf performance. In our first show, we are talking about some new research that we all can use and implement. If you play on the European Tour, uh, it's going to help you shave off 1.2 shots per round and make an extra 889,000 pounds a year. If you don't, this is still relevant for you because you're going to shave some strokes off your game and hopefully take some more money off your friends in your next game. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab. We're bringing to light important research and concepts that you need to understand to improve your learning and performance. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker. Thank you so much for joining us back. And you know, we all love data that gives us concrete ways to take strokes off our score. And today's episode is all about that. We're talking about the pre-shot routine. And I sent the study out just last year when it was released in our email newsletter, The Dispatch, which if you're not getting, you should, golfsciencelab.com slash dispatch. And I got a lot of great feedback from people. I thought it was really impressive that there's such a correlation between something going on in the pre-shot routine and performance or score. So we're talking with the man who carried out the research, Dr. Matt Bridge. I'm based at University of Birmingham over here in the UK, work in collaboration with the Professional Golfers Association over here delivering their coach education programs and uh, my research, uh, teaching and my fascination is around the, the science in golf. So a little backstory on the study that we're talking about today. It started in 2016 when an accounting firm, RSM, wanted to do something a little bit unique with the European tour, not only helping the players on the tour, but golfers in general, which as well, which I think is, is a pretty awesome way to do some sponsorship and advertising. And they chose to look at the pre-shot routine. So volunteers, they had 40 at each tournament, uh, walked inside the ropes with players about 20 yards away, taking some measurements. We got 40 um, volunteers who were all golfers recruited for every tournament and, and they would follow, they were in pairs, they would follow a player. And if the player made the cut, they would follow the same player for, for four rounds. And, and so they were working in pairs because one of them was looking at what are the things, you know, the behaviors that happen in the pre-shot routine. So is there a firm club choice? Is there a discussion around the yardage? You know, is it, is it in unsure? how many practice swings they take, where they take those practice swings, if there's a, sort of a, a, a negative reaction to to a shot or a putt or whatever it might be, including throwing clubs, snapping clubs, we had one or two. Then the second sort of volunteer was collecting all the, the data for us to actually calculate um, strokes gained over here. So a little bit different to the PGA Tour on the European Tour in that we haven't got the shot link set up. So what we had to do is collect that data ourselves. And so we had the volunteers out there with GPS devices and recording the lie, recording the, the yardage through to the green. And then obviously one of the other key measures for us was the time that a player spent over the ball from address. So from when they first address the ball through to impact. So they were timing that on a, on a stopwatch. And, you know, if I was to be brutally honest, that's one of the limitations of, of the study that we have here. But, you know, when we sort of chewed it around before we decided to go go with this approach, you know, when you've got 22,000 shots, yeah, you're going to get some duff ones in there. 
but we went through quite an extensive screening process in the in the data analysis to ensure that the ones that you know there was no real explanation for for why it was that long or that short were, were screened out so that's what the volunteers were doing and they were out there inside the ropes walking along with the scorer uh, the scoreboard carrier and like i say about 20 yards away so it's really close getting really good observations of these of these players so they had all these volunteers out at four different tournaments. They were looking at a few different things like looks to target, practice swings, and then timing. So they were timing from address to impact, and they weren't necessarily looking at the time of each player and that one time is better than the other, but the consistency and the change in the time for players from tournament to tournament and from day to day. And then looking at that data over these different events. So some of the ones I did were the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open, the Aberdeen Asset Management Scottish Open, the British Masters. This was in 2017. And we have some of the graphs that they created along with the study, which are really, really good. And you need to check out if you're listening to this. That is over on the website golfsciencelab.com along with the post for this podcast. Those will be on there. But check that out and you'll see some of the the data. For instance, they had Andy Sullivan his data for all four of these events. And you can look through that and see how that changes. Really cool. The easiest way to understand it is each player had sort of their average time over the ball. When they were a little bit quicker than that average, they tend to play their better shots. When they're a little bit slower than that average, they tend to play shots that are not as good. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some good shots that are slower and some bad shots that are quicker. But, you know, looking at the data overall for each player, so a lot of the, some of the players we've got 16 rounds of data on, you know, the, the kind of a little bit, little bit slower leads to a worse shot. Gotcha. So it's comparing it to one person's average. It's not comparing it to the average of all golfers then. No, it's, it's absolutely at the individual level. So was the variation in time over the ball between players? Yes, absolutely. The one thing I can't, can't do is go you know the, the golden number over the ball is is x i know what the the average sort of time is like i said between seven and eight seconds but equally there were some players who would stand over the ball at a dress for 12 13 seconds and still play good shots but the pattern was still there if they were a little bit quicker than they than their average time it's a better shot you know so if you think about it, the quicker shots are the better ones the slower ones you know for you are the ones that are not so good so it's very individualistic time over the ball but what we do know is that a little bit quicker time does lead to the better shots. Got it. And this is why we do the podcast, Matt. Why? <laughs> why does that matter? <laughs> what, what do we learn from this? Well, one of the other bits, which I have you mention about the study, is um, for kind of a subgroup of, of the, the players that we, we followed. So we had kind of a core of 20 players that we pretty much got at all four tournaments. So for an, an, a subgroup of that 20, we actually sat down with them individually and and i I kind of interviewed them and said so what's it all about what's the pre-shot routine all about and and what do you feel not not letting them know anything about the the timing and the findings what do you feel you know when you're over the ball what are you trying to do and one of the key things that kind of came out of those those quotes was um the importance of that you know they felt that they played in their words quicker when they were playing quicker they were playing better so if they they talked about, I mean, I think one of the things you always find with players, they, they have little bits of information there. So they talk about flow. So some of them knew about flow. So when I'm in flow, I'm playing playing quicker and those kind of ideas. But I think one of the key the key things coming out of it was commitment. And when they are committed to the shot, when they you know actually have a really clear understanding of what they're trying to do, they'll walk up there and play the shot. The problem comes from the, what the players are saying to us is when I'm slightly unsure, 
if I stand there too long and I start thinking about, you know, there's all that really long rough on the right of this fairway, then when they get those sort of negative outcome thoughts in their mind, then that's when their their performance goes down a bit. And actually, this kind of t- this ties in with a lot of the research literature outside of looking at what happens on the European tour. You know, there's all sorts of different theories. There's sort of distraction theory. There's reinvestment theory. You know, where you go back down to your technique and you thinking all of a sudden about you know I need to move my arms in this way or my wrists in this way. And when we do that, that may impact upon how we control our movement and move the club and lead to worse worse outcomes or in terms of distraction we get internally distracted or externally detract, uh, distracted and so, so again that might lead to to worse outcomes so it, it certainly seems from both uh, sort of the research literature and also from what the the players are being saying to us is actually you need to be really clear in your purpose and, and go on and, and get and do it it's when the thoughts kind of creep in which to be honest you know all, all golfers listening to this will, will know what i mean when you're you're standing on the tee and you're over the ball and you're probably hanging around a little longer than you needed to to play the shot and all of a sudden something creeps into your mind and, and you know lo and behold what happens the the ball goes flying off to the left with a hook or something or a, or a slice off to the right purely because we've hung around and we've kind of let ourselves be distracted potentially in some way so it's getting in that that committed state getting in that state where you can not necessarily have doubts or you have to think a lot over the ball then is kind of anecdotally what these these players were saying and i i relate to that as well i think about dr debbie cruz's some of her work on performance states in the brain over the ball and and getting in that right state and how important that is i mean what do you think is going on in the brain do you have any insights into like the states that you think that are, are best performance in this is this indicative of of something that you've that you've heard or read or i, I sorry just want to dive deeper here and, and see no yeah do. absolutely i mean it's, it's good that you asked that question Corey. i actually have a, a phd student of mine is is looking at this at the moment so she's just coming to the end of her, her phd and and we've been looking at sort of motor preparation and, and and looking at heart rate deceleration in the golf swing so it's something that's been seen in in dart throwing and in shooting and in um, archery that what happens in in the moments of if you like aim and preparation just before uh, letting go of an arrow or, or shooting a gun we, we get a big heart rate deceleration and that's thought to to link into the idea around motor preparation and, and maybe focusing externally rather than internally on our movement so we've been starting to do that in golf and so uh, one of the things that you know i think maybe is is certainly happening um, when people are playing good shots is that um, they're going through this uh, heart rate deceleration phase, which is indicative or suggestive of a more external focus in in terms of what they're doing and, and focusing on before they, if you like, pull the trigger on the swing. So I think that would be potentially one of the things that, that would underpin some of the findings here. And, and like I said, we, we are literally doing the, st- the study is going on today, looking at this in the full swing. We've got some data on putting already and we know it exists in putting, but this idea of your heart rate decelerating, also aligning with you know quietening of the motor areas in the brain before you're ready to uh, pull the trigger and, and move for action in the goal swing. So, I mean, if we were to make this as simple as possible, we, we'd tell people that you have to be committed to a shot. Your brain can't be going through a 10-point checklist of internal cues and standing over, there, over the ball a long time trying to figure things out. Is that simplistic? Yeah. So one of the when I was talking to to the players, you know, I had the you know the privilege of being able to talk to them about it. 
they all said um essentially you know make your decisions at your bag get your yardage get your club always have a target think about where you want the ball to move as soon as you go up to that ball get over the ball play a shot and and go from there and you know that that's what leads to to performance in their opinion so your guidance that you gave there was was absolutely right was there any relationship between the pre-shot routine before time over ball? Did you look at anything around that as far as like if people had spent a shorter amount of time behind the ball, for instance, and they had a longer amount of time over the ball, like there was some relationship there with those two things or was that not something that you looked at? No, we, we, we didn't measure the, the time that they spent in the bag before they went to address the ball. What we did measure in the, in the pre-shot routine is actually consistency of behavior so how many practice swings, where the practice swings took place, um, once they're over the ball, how many looks to target. And, uh, and the, the actual finding in terms of pre-shot routine is greater consistency is what leads to greater performance in there. Uh, for these European tour players, um, where that's really important is in rounds one and two, the, the individuals who miss the cut are typically the ones where their pre-shot routine is less consistent in terms of the behaviours. So like I said, practice swings, looks to target, um, where they're standing to to take those practice swings and, and even picking up a, a start line standing behind the ball before they go to address it. Let's take a quick second here just to get back to the benefits of what we're talking about. Uh, and I'm quoting these from the study, these three points that they found is number one, that spending less time over the ball could earn a European tour player an extra 189,000 pounds per season. Number two, quicker shots improve performance. A shorter time over the ball across all putts results in 90% increase in the likelihood of strokes gained. And number three is consistency of time spent over the ball leads to a greater chance of making the cut. When players are more consistent in rounds one and two, they're 50% more likely to make the cut compared to less consistent players. So obviously, this is massive, what we're looking at here with pre-shot routine. And we have a lot more to dive into. But first, I just want to take a quick second to plug one of our Golf Science Lab products. This is the Golf Swing Summit. This happened last year in the spring. It was our most popular education that we've done so far here at the Golf Science Lab. We had some amazing presenters join us and share some of their best information. It was really looking at how the best are teaching, what they're teaching, and then diving into why they do what they do. It is a fantastic education event. If you want to dive deeper in your understanding of the golf swing, how golf instructors teach and coach, and what the best are doing, I recommend checking that out. You can find more info at golfswingsummit.com. One of the areas of the game that proved most important when we look at the pre-shot routine was putting. The big story around putting for me is, is time over ball, but pre-shot routine consistency plays into that as well. The key things is, you know, consistency in the routine and then time over the ball in terms of putting and, and tee shots as well. Those are the, the two key areas. Why do you think that there is a, it looks like a much bigger impact with putting than, than tee shots, the time over ball had. Why such a difference there? I mean, that's a really good question. It's one I'm still, because, you know, literally we kind of just got the data and, and put out these these initial findings. And it's still one that I'm kind of puzzling over a little bit because one of one of the things where if, if I broke down the putting into different distances around those three to five foot putts, it is a massive effect. You know, where you where you are that little bit longer over the ball has, has a huge, huge effect on outcome. And, and actually, one of the things that, that really shows that is we we modeled uh, for these European tour players. So, so for these 20 players where we had all these rounds, 
we kind of went, okay, let's, you know, let's hypothetically take out all the, the longer times over the ball. So, you know, if we remove those shots and replace them with like an average outcome for what you should do from, from that line, that distance, what would happen to your score across a tournament? And uh, so that it kind of works out that across a tournament, they would be you know, on average 1.2 shots lower across the tournament. Some would be three shots lower, some would be one shot lower, but it, the average shape shook out at 1.2. Um, and that means a lot more money for them. But what's really interesting in terms of your question, in terms of putts and and tee shots is that most of those extra sort of gains came in putting for most of the players hitting it off the tee you get you know you get small gains you know and and the players themselves these days are talking about fractions of of a stroke gain um so they do get small gains there but um the real big gains are are around putting and and being a little bit quicker over the ball when you're putting do you think it's that same thing that we talked about before with kind of the heart rate, the heart rate dropping prior to performance and, and that whole thing? Is is that why that's important with with putting and that it shows up much stronger? Is is that a more feel-based, less technical aspect of golf or like any insight there? Yeah, absolutely. We have studied data on, on putting already. You know, that's one of the things that we do see in better putters is we see a more uh, pronounced heart rate deceleration before they come to, to putt the ball. And then equally, that that deceleration is more robust under pressure. So if we took um, a putter who is not as good under pressure, what we'd see is, you know, if we ramp up the pressure in some artificial way uh, through having a leaderboard or telling them we're going to put the putt on social media or, or whatever it might be or put some money on the putt, lots of different ways we can do this. For the really good putters who, who can deal with that pressure, they maintain this deceleration in their heart rate. For the putters who, who maybe can't, or don't have the coping tools to deal with the pressure as well. And then we see that there's either uh, no heart rate deceleration or a reduced heart rate deceleration, which also then leads to reduction in performance as well. So do you think this is one of the most important findings then of the study is like this time over putts that, that people should pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. For me, um, so as I said, we, we gave the European tour players individual feedback. And so the, the kind of the 20, you know, the players where we had enough data to make it you know, actually, we're pretty sure what we're seeing in you. So we've got, you know, at least eight rounds of data on them. I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, something like 70% of them, that the main focus was time over the ball with putting. So it's not to say that, you know, other ones wouldn't gain from from better time over the ball on tee shots. But for me, it really is on the green and, and around the green. And I think that's something easy to change, which is a good thing uh, and something to become aware of and, and something to, to focus on, which is which is nice. It's not this kind of unmeasurable thing. Anyone can can kind of think about this. So is the idea here then, if you're spending too long, if, if folks, you know, they, they feel like they've spent a long time over the ball, those thoughts creep in just to back away and restart then, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if you, if, <laughs> but it's the discipline to do that. It's having the discipline um, and being disciplined in your, you know, it, it, golf is very much about discipline, making good decisions of the bag, good targets, good strategy. But then when you're over the ball is if that is coming in, the time to you know back off, I actually, I need to stop. Because I think it's often quite easy. We, we kind of just stay there and kind of then rationalize almost more thinking that it will be fine and, and, it, and it doesn't work out well. And, and we know from, like I mentioned, Noel Rousseau, uh, one of my, my ex-PhD students who graduated a couple of years ago, we know from one of his PhD studies where we manipulated the time people had. If we give you longer than you normally are over the ball, then cognitive thought increases in that time. If we cut it down a little bit, 
it doesn't necessarily reduce, but the key thing is it doesn't, you know, it's not getting longer. So not being longer over the ball is really important. So which way do we go? Do we reduce time over ball or do we reduce thinking over ball, which reduces time? Like wh- which way do we think? <laughs> There's two. I think, I think personally, I think time, time sort of uh, drives that one, you know, certainly from the work that we've seen with, with Knowles, PhD, that, you know, if, if time is sure, then there's a tendency, it wasn't statistically significant, but there was a tendency for less cognitive thought. But definitely when time was longer, uh, cognitive thought went up. Uh, so my feeling is that that, that time is, is that driver. But that's not to say, really, that you can't get in there and, um, and, and have lots of thought in a short time, but you'll probably realize it at that point. And I think one of the areas that, you know, I'm, we're interested in exploring, but we haven't really gone there yet, is um, how things like sort of working memory capacity play into all of this in terms of, you know, what thought is good for a player or not. Did you see more variability in time over ball, let's say at the beginning or end of a round or in round four versus round one or anything like that? Players players were pretty consistent in terms of their time over the ball, to be honest. The the variation was within a tournament was, was more or less the same. It, there was obvious, obviously between day to day, there was a little bit of variation, a little bit of change, but nothing drastic. Where we did see some considerable variation is in tournament to tournament. And, uh, you know, I can obviously go in and pick out individuals where we've got multiple tournaments on and and uh i have a graph that kind of didn't make the findings as such but it was one individual and and in one tournament we plotted their kind of the whole spread of of all their tee shots so um we, we sort of showed the tee shots over time so you know from from quick all the way to throw uh slow sorry and they're all plotted out as these individual points and, and so there's this massive spread when this player finished in the top 40 of the tournament and the spread gets smaller when they finished in the in the top 20. And when they finished in the top 10, that variation, there's still variations. That's one of the things we need to remember. There's still variation in time over the ball for any within any one round and tournament. But that variation that, that, and, and was a lot reduced. And so they were a lot more consistent when they, they made the top 10. Um, and then for me, graphically, I, I know we can't, I can't show you it here. That, that really um, sort of is a really great picture in terms of how consistency plays into performance any ideas on what causes that difference from week to week versus day to day i think that's an area that we you know we we probably need to explore a little bit more for players and and players need to explore that you know with with coaches and 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 with the people their teams that that they work with i mean i think one of the things for me that is is something that we really haven't explored in you know is actually effective travel on these players you know playing three Three on the bounce. Uh, what effect does that have in, in terms of how they go out and perform? So, you know, I could I could really speculate. I think fatigue and, and travel and accumulated fatigue would be a really interesting one to look at. And equally, you got to remember that these guys have other distractions in their lives as well. So uh, that can all play into it. So you might be asking yourself, how much can this data really change for a, a European tour player? These are the best players in the world. Well. Good news is you can look at it. Uh, On the website, we have those graphs and you can look at Andy Sullivan and Paul Waring. And I think it's very cool to see Paul's change quite a bit from tournament to tournament and just the amount of variation from week to week and how that affects the performance or his results is really astounding. It's worth checking that out over on the website and you'll see a few other things. 
I'm posting the unedited interview on the website as well if you want to listen to that because we talked for about an hour, hour and a half, and you're just hearing a portion, an edited portion of that here. So if you want to go through the entire thing, you can do that over on the website. Uh, something I just want to try out if you enjoy learning as much as you can about something as possible. The key thing from this is finding what works for you. And, you know, that's what these players, you know, that they work with their coaches if they have a kind of a, a psychologist, a sports psychologist or, or whoever who, who works with them um, as well. Then they work with them to develop their routines and, and what they do. And, you know, for any one person, there's likely to be, you know, that range which is optimal. But you need to go and work out what that is for you. So, you know, my best advice there would go, go and see a PGA professional and, and talk to them about it and kind of go from there. So, yeah, you can get too quick. And equally, I also think you can get too consistent. So there was always variability within the data. So we shouldn't be looking for, for zero, you know, zero variability, 100% consistency. I mean, you talked about looking at Andy Sullivan's dashboard and, and what you can see there, if we if we think about the the looks to target and practice swings, the different colors indicate, you know, the more different colors are, the, the more variability there is. So, you know, there can be variability. And, and actually, that's really important because if we think about shots on the golf course, every shot's unique. You know, you walk to your ball, you find it, and it's maybe a lie you've never seen before. Even if you're on your home course, you're in a position you, you may not have been in before, where the ball is, with the combination of the wind and, the, and where the pin's placed. And so you have to adapt and you have to have variability within your system to, to adapt to that. And so yeah, you know, if I was to give people the, the kind of the, the, the rule of thumb on, on what people do in terms of behaviors, it's two practice swings, two looks to target. And I would say, you know, that's kind of a guideline that comes out of the European tour. And you can be pretty much, yeah, if you went two and two, that's what most players do. But within that, there is variability. And, and I think one of the key types of shots where we need variability is in bunker shots, because they're all pretty different. And recovery shots as well. So where we're recovering our ball from a hazard or, you know, from the trees or somewhere where we can't play a, you know, a normal shot towards the pin. And and, and one of the things that we saw when we looked at recovery shots and, and bunker shots is that actually this idea of time over the ball and consistency is different there. There is no pattern between good and bad shots if you're playing out of a bunker or playing a recovery shot. And, you know, if you want my take on that, that's because they're very different each time. So it probably takes a little bit more figuring out because the nature of the shots, you know, if, a, if it's a fairway bunker that's, that's quite shallow, that would be different to when we played um, the Irish Open over at Paul Stewart. You know, we've got the pot bunkers in there where, you know, getting out is the priority. But if we were to go to tee shots, approach shots and putts, that's, that's where consistency and time over the ball really, really come into play for me. When reading and hearing about research like this, I always like to try to put it in context or try to connect the dots to see if we can figure out what's potentially going on. And, you know, this, I specifically think about the mental game and performance states and a past interview with Dr. Debbie Cruz, who is an expert on this, jumps to mind. So I want to play a short clip here just to see if we can get a bigger picture idea on what potentially is going on here. Behind the ball, they may be imaging and seeing that shot, which is going to be more of a right brain activity. At the same time, they're going to be assessing, you know, conditions, etc. And ultimately, then they'll they'll get finished with their decision making and getting their motor program, etc., in place. 
And then from there they walk up and they're still doing important processing things, setting the club, looking to see if the alignment is correct, etc., which all involves both sides of the brain. But eventually we kind of like that left side to quiet, especially specific areas to quiet so that you are going to go more with automatic processing for performance. And so when you have skilled players, they already know the skill and the motor programs already pretty well established. So the subconscious will be initiating that motion. And the conscious though is what we're measuring. So in my opinion, it's very important to know where that consciousness is, or it's, it's either gonna help you or it's gonna get in the way of that performance. I think Debbie's right on point there with explaining the process that happens from behind the ball to the ball and and where we're trying to get to. And, you know, if someone is bringing that processing into the time that they spend over the ball, that time might go up and which might lead to bad performance if we look at the study and then try to connect what Debbie says here. And if they're in a better performance state that they've made all of those processing decisions beforehand when when they step in they get into that performance state that synchronous state like debbie's research shows is best for performance that it potentially could be quicker and you know when we hear of this i also make correlations you think about flow states or the zone that are indicators of good performance and i think that there should be a way to connect some of that research and what Dr. Matt did here with this pre-shot study and and figure out, you know, what's going on because these correlate, these two kind of go together. And I I think that's our job as people that are reading this and trying to put the pieces together is kind of looking at these things and figuring out what is the most important factors. And anyways, I wanted to bring that up. Debbie's point there, kind of explaining that thing's good. Go back and listen to her episode if you want. She dives into some of her research on performance states and what's optimal for best performance. We're going to end this episode with a new segment that we're doing here. It is a few golf questions just so we can get to know each guest a little bit better beyond what we heard in the episode. So we had a few quick questions for Matt. Here we go. Most memorable golf trip or golf course that you've played? Oh, that would probably be St. Andrews somewhere. So I like the new and the Jubilee. I actually, I played the Jubilee for the first time uh, when the World Scientific Congress of Golf was up there. And I really enjoyed that. I was just playing with some friends. We played it a couple of times. We enjoyed it the, the first time so much. And, uh, you know, yeah, some people say it wasn't a great course, but it was actually the company and the people you're playing with as well made it a great round of golf. And I love that. Nice. What bad advice do you hear most often given to golfers? <laughs> well, oh, uh, where do you want to start? What bad advice? If I was to kind of give you a general thing, there is one way of doing it. You know, you need to do this comes out a lot or you need to do that when actually, you know, you don't necessarily know what that person needs to do. And, you know, so there are no models for, for the swing and there are parameters it needs to work within. But yeah, things that are trying to be overly prescriptive about how we move that club. Love that. That is awesome. Favorite club in your bag? Currently my putter. I have a, a Zen Oracle putter. They're made over here in, in Sheffield. I just love it. It's, it's a solid block of aluminium. It's it's machined out from a solid block of aluminium and then it's anodized. So it, it hardens it up so the ball doesn't, doesn't dink it too much. And uh, yeah, I just love the feel of that putter. Okay, let's see. Oh, this is a great question for you. Young teenage golfer, let's say 15 to 18, something like that. They tell you they want to play on tour. What advice do you give them? Have something to fall back on. It's really hard to get up there. So yeah, don't neglect your education, but yeah, work hard, enjoy it. And yeah, 
have something to fall back on. It is really hard to get out there. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. I was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. 